0: Welcome to the Draft Deeper podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. I have returned from Las Vegas Summer League. I'm, I'm a little more refreshed. Certainly anytime you go out to Las Vegas for Summer League, it's, it's it's a little bit of a grueling trip. Obviously a fun one, but you try and do so many things in, in a short amount of days at least, but with, with what my day job <laughs> allows me to do as far as taking time off to actually be... Out in Vegas, interact with so many of you fans, interact with so many different personnel, scouts, obviously meet up with my no ceilings team. We all got to meet together in person for the first time. I had previously scouted games with with Corey, but I hadn't really met especially any of the West Coast guys on our team like Rucker, like Albert, like Nick. So you saw all of us together. In the No Ceilings reaction shows that we did. If you missed either of those live reaction shows where we went over our in person thoughts, some of which obviously I'm going to get into on this episode, please go check those episodes out on the No Ceilings podcast feed. Or if you want to actually watch us all in the same room, see what we look like together, our mannerisms, how we interact with one another, yeah, you can see that too. You can go to No Ceilings TV, or YouTube channel, and you can watch. Our live reaction shows really from the first three days of Summer League. We got out there. We didn't quite get to get in the arena to see the first two matchups of the night, which would have been uh, Paolo and Caro against Jabari Smith, and then uh, Jane Ivy against Shane Sharp, or, or the, the five minutes that we shot Shane Sharp on the court. We didn't get in person for those games, but we were out there all day Friday, all day Saturday. And then some of the team members who were able to be out there Sunday and Monday, they were at the games those days as well. So definitely make sure you're tuned into everything we're doing in those films, including the podcast feed, and the YouTube channel. I want to come back to the draft Deeper podcast feed, and I want to share some of my thoughts about what we've seen with Summer League so far, which really I feel like this is an appropriate time to do a Summer League Reactions podcast because a lot of the big guys have played their games. And in the case of Paladin Caro, for example, who we'll get into in a second, he's already played the two games he's going to play in summer league. He's shut down for the rest of Las Vegas summer league, as well as I'm sure some of these bigger names that we'll talk about, like Chet Holger like Jabari Smith, like Keegan Murray, Jane Ivey's already out with an injury. Shane Sharps, I mentioned, is already out with an injury. Like some of these guys have either suffered some unfortunate timing injuries or they will eventually be shut down by their teams. A lot of the top prospects, they usually only play two to three games, and then we can kind of build our thoughts, uh, give some reactions to how they fit with some of their teammates, the chemistry they're starting to build, what their NBA fit on the court is going to look like. And from there, we, we can not put too much stock into their performances and some of the numbers at summer league, even though I have some of those to work with, but really what do they look like on the court? Are they interacting well with their teammates? Do they look like they're building good chemistry and can anything we see on the floor be things that we can project to happen during the first few games of their actual NBA inaugural season or moving into and moving through their rookie season? Do we see anything that can project well, on the court. So let's, let's walk through some of that with some guys. Obviously, I'm going to talk about the top guys on this podcast. I have some few other intriguing players who have caught my eye, some second year players who have caught my eye, and then a few other names to mention at the end who I thought have definitely deserved to be called out on, on, on this podcast and so really shouted out and given some praise for, for how well they've done during the Summer League. But let's start, obviously, at the very top. Paolo Bancaro and Chet Holmgren did not get to face off against each other. On the court, as Chet Holmgren did play for the Oklahoma City Thunder last night. I'm recording this podcast on Tuesday, July 12th. But Paolo Bencaro, as I said, he only played the first two games uh, that were available to him for the Orlando Magic, and then he will be out the rest of the summer league stretch. So we did not get to see those two face off. But I have thoughts about the both of them, and really something I wrote down that I wanted to talk about a little bit was Paolo versus Chet, right? Who has had the, mo- the more impressive Summer League stretch? So Paolo Bencaro, just looking at some of the numbers, he's averaged 20 points per game, five rebounds, six assists, 40 shot, 41% from the field in those two games, 50% from three-point range, 80% from the free throw line, um, did average two and a half steals and one block, also five turnovers, which I'll, I'll talk about some of the turnovers and why I don't put a ton of stock into those numbers in Summer League in a second. Chad Holmgren, on the other hand, averaged seemingly num- numbers that that paired a lot closer to what we saw from him at Gonzaga in college, right? The 14 points per game, nine rebounds, two assists, three blocks, and one steal. Shot 50% from the field, 40% from three, and he made three of three of the free throws when he actually got to the line. So – Let's examine both guys. Um, Chet Holmgren, I'll start with because he had that really awesome 23.7 rebounds, six-block game in the, the Utah Summer League that where he really came onto the scene. He burst onto the scene, showed all of his versatility on the offensive end, brought the ball up the floor, was given some creative stretches to operate with, with and through on the offensive end. And then defensively, we knew he'd be able to protect the rim. We knew he'd be able to switch it up a little bit, guard on the perimeter a little bit, move his feet. I loved everything that I've seen from Chet Holmgren during the summer league stretch. He is proving to be the player who I think all of us at no ceilings at the very least thought he could be, which is not just a play finisher, right? He's not only a guy who can grab some offensive rebounds, who can get some put back. Who the cut can finish and transition he has some shot making ability in the half court he was not afraid to take guys off the bounce go one-on-one even in the Oklahoma City Thunders matchup against the Houston Rockets he would go one-on-one against Jabari Smith or some of their other talented players take them off the dribble operate in the mid-range work from the elbows obviously we knew he was a trailer three-point shooter in college that was his that was one of his more fluid play types for Gonzaga was that trailer three but he was making obviously the transition threes but also some really nice pick and pop half court threes as well he showed off the range he showed off the shot making versatility in the mid-range he finished around the basket at a high level there really wasn't much more that I wanted to see from Chet Holmgren and also you factor in some of the passing the, the passing chemistry really between him and then and Josh Gideon and, and I talked about Josh Giddy. I know we talked about Josh Giddy on the No Ceilings reaction shows. I don't I don't feel like I need to dive too much into what he showed at Summer League on this episode of the podcast, mainly because we we knew Josh Giddy was already a good player, right? He was an all-rookie performer. We knew that him playing year two in summer league, especially being the passing maestro that he is, he he was really at Summer League to try and help bring some of the rookies and some of the other younger guys. Along and, and bring them closer to his level or at least as close to his level as possible right make the game as easy as it can be from a shot making standpoint for everybody else around him get those guys the ball in the spots where they're more comfortable operating in. and we saw it with chet Holmgren. we saw him operating out of some of those elbow areas we saw giddy finding him with the hit heads in transition or working off of him in transition with Tre- uh, when chet brought the ball up the floor we saw some of that From Giddy, and I think that only helped accentuate Chet Holmgren. Right, it gave him somebody to work off of and play off of. To where Chet didn't feel like he always had to do everything himself. I feel like that took some of the pressure off. And then when he did have those opportunities of freedom to to operate and be a little more creative on the offensive end, he found Giddy for some passes. Giddy found him on some nice passes. Chet was a role man. He was a shop. He he did everything that you wanted to see. At Summer League. And obviously that first game, I don't feel like he's gonna have a ton of those games in, in the regular NBA season during his rookie year, but that's the type of upside that Sean Holmgren has. Chet has the shooting touch in his bag, he can make these one-legged shots off fadeaways. He has some touch inside the paint, other than just simply dunking the ball when he has an open run at the at hoop. He can do so much more offensively than what he got to show at Gonzaga. And if you didn't watch the film session that he did with Mike Schmitz, for example, um, the, the now assistant general manager for the Portland Trailblazers, if you didn't get to watch some of those video interactions where he was breaking down some film, speaking about opportunities that he thought he had in front of him where he knew he could do better that's some of the intel, some of the inside stuff that that maybe some evaluators were missing about cheddar. Maybe they just put too much stock into his body. The thin man, as we all like to call him. Well, the thin man showed up to summer league and he balled his ass off. And I was so proud of what I saw. I was so proud of what I saw from Chet Holmgren. Paolo Bencaro, on the other hand, who has had the more impressive summer league stretch between those two guys? I would actually say Chet had the best single individual performance between the two prospects, but across a multi-game sample size, I was really impressed with what I saw from Paladin Kara. And I talked about some of it on the No Ceilings Reaction shows. It wasn't that he was just a 20-plus points-per-game performer. It was the passing touch. It was the consistency. It was the willingness to go and make plays for others and try new things and be inventive. And yes, some of those passes were a little errant and led to some turnovers, but he wanted to be creative for others. He wasn't just solely hunting his own shot and when he was in that playmaker mode setting other guys up running some inverted pick and rolls running some pick and rolls with their banks operating in transition finding guys off half court drives when he was in the mode to set other guys up some of those passes were really pretty man and you saw the point forward vision that i think the orlando magic ultimately had for Chet Holmgren when they wanted to draft him first overall, and they rightfully did so. He shot the ball well from the field. He wasn't settling for a lot of looks from the perimeter. He got downhill. He had a game where he got to the line 10-plus times and, and knocked down a lot of his free throws. That's the type of aggression that I wanted to see from Palabin Carroll from the start of the year. We saw it closer to the end, and then through that NCAA tournament run where he was much more comfortable looking for offense for others, getting downhill, getting to the mid-post, operating um, out of some of those post situations. We saw more of the downhill aggression at the very least from Paolo when he did decide to not just settle for those three-point looks or for some of those long twos. We saw how effective of an offensive engine he can possibly be in the NBA at 6'10 and 250 pounds. That's really why Paolo went number one overall. Chet is a spectacular player. Chet was the number one overall prospect on my board, but I kept saying that for the Orlando Magic's sake, I really thought that Paolo was the best fit because that team needs an engine. That team needs a player at his size who can operate on the wing, who can operate at the forward spot, who can create offense for himself as well as for everybody else. Chet, was always going to be a good fit in Oklahoma City because he's one of those complimentary players who, an underrated ball mover, but also somebody who works at his best off of others and being able to play off of Shea Gilgis-Alexander once we get to the regular season. We already saw the chemistry he started to develop with Josh Giddey. That's more of an ideal situation for Chet Holmberg than in Orlando. I understand that Orlando would have had um, a number of talented guards. Franz Wagner proved to be an underrated playmaker and passer at the forward spot. But I just don't think any of those guys, faults notwithstanding because of some of the medical concerns and the injury history that he has, I think some of those guards are just much more comfortable scoring the ball and and working to either make the very easy read, the simple one read out of the pick and roll, or look to score it and, and get their own points. They're not the more creative playmakers and wizards like Jalen Suggs or Cole Anthony, for example, they're not the same playmaking wizards that a Paolo Bencaro can be. And then when you factor in everything he can do is score from all three levels in the floor at his size. Plus he was active on the defensive end. He showed a willingness to go out there and make plays on the defensive end to guard his position to go up against somebody like Jabari Smith showed the willingness to guard him and then go down the other end of the floor and nail shots in his face. I really loved what I saw from Palovan Kara, and I think we're going to see more of that during the NBA regular season. I would be shocked if he wasn't the odds on favorite to win NBA rookie of the year. I think, I, I know, I know, unpopular opinion, right? But I, I do think he's going to win the, the NBA rookie of the year next year when it's all said and done. So those were some of my thoughts on the top two picks. Jabari Smith, on the other hand, I absolutely commend him for the defense that he has played so far in summer league. He has had some really impressive possessions, both guarding people individually, one-on-one, sealing off drivers, really gave Blake Weston the business in in the Rockets game against the Spurs when when Blake Wesley was getting hot at the very beginning of the game, got off to a decent start. But then he just kept uh, being shut down and denied at the rim, drive after drive after drive, had to settle for more of those jump shots where we know that he's not a shoot-first-from-the-perimeter kind of guy. He's a much better player when he can get downhill – and get to the basket, utilizing his speed, his athleticism, his burst. He got walled off so many different times um, by Jabari Smith. And that's that's what the Houston Rockets likely envisioned when they drafted Jabari third overall. It's it's obviously some of the shooting and, and the space and that he's going to provide Jalen Green and, and Kevin Porter and Josh Christopher and some of the other guys who are much more comfortable with the ball in their hands, getting downhill and put and applying pressure to the rim. We know what Jabari Smith can provide on the offensive end if he becomes the type of player we all think he can become. He didn't show a lot of that shot making, at least up to this point in Las Vegas, but I buy the mechanics, I buy the touch, I buy the consistent production that he displayed last year. I I have zero doubts that he's going to be a much better shooter than what he's shown at, at Summer League. Um, obviously some of the two point finishing is still a little bit of a concern. We know the ball handling, the dribbling, the handle, it's not the best. I think it will get better over time. It may just take a while. And I also go into it knowing that Jabari, in my opinion, was not going to be a number one offensive option in the NBA. Is that like an ultimate apex ceiling for him? If he continues to work as hard as he does? Absolutely. And I will never put anything past someone who wants to come in the gym and work every day and who is as competitive as Jabari Smith is, but I think right now that that's just a little further out of reach for somebody like him, which is fine because they have Jalen Green on the roster. They have a true number one go-to scoring option on the roster already who will take some of that offensive pressure off Smith. But being able to play that small ball five role, being able to protect the rim a little bit, being able to switch out on the perimeter and guard smaller players and, and wall other guys off and contest different matchups, uh, switch out, as I said, Closeouts, blocking shots, making plays on the ball. He was much more of a steals artist, at least up to this point in Vegas, but just the defensive versatility that he was able to show at that 6'10 size with his length, with his footwork. I am absolutely buying into everything. I think Jabari Smith can be on the defensive end. And even if he turns out to just be a really high floor three and D type of player in the NBA, I still think at his size, that is an incredibly valuable player to have. It's a player that every single NBA team would love to have on their roster. And I am still buying into those parts of Jabari Smith's game. He, he had some stretches during a few of the games where he did look more comfortable get into that one-two dribble pull-up inside the arc, but man... When the shot isn't falling, it's very easy to see all the naysayers come out and say, this is why I didn't have Jabari Smith as high as some other people. If he can't create his own offense on a consistent basis, and he always needs to be set up for those jumpers by other players, why are we valuing this guy as like number one or number two in our boards? Why isn't he a much better bet at three or four or five? It's easy to make that argument when he's not hitting those shots, but you just watch everything else he did during those summer league games. I still came away impressed. So I still think he has a high ceiling. I do think there have been too many overreactions to some of his performances, at least from an efficiency standpoint on the offensive side of the ball. Another top pick that I did get to see in person at summer league, Keegan Murray. Has he been everything that I expected? Has he been something more, potentially something a little less? Certainly has not been less. His summer league stats, his averages uh, up to this point, 21.5 points per game, six rebounds, two and a half assists, 44% from the field, 40% from three, almost 79% from the free throw line, and one.5 and steals per game. Listen, folks, this guy has been everything that we tried to advertise that he was at no ceilings, a guy who – Yes, he did struggle to create his own offense at times. Yes, there were certain defenders who could wall him off, depending if the, on, on their foot speed, their athletic traits, their length. He was not always able to get around guys, get the first step, and, and get downhill and, and get himself to different spots with the ball in his hands. But he's such a technician. He's such an aware off-ball player. He did get himself in the right spots without the basketball. He, was, he, he ran off screens. He worked out of the post. He set himself up for catch and shoot opportunities, including that very last shot that he hit to tie one of the games um, in, in summer league. Keegan Murray really showed a more complete offensive package than I think people realize. And I've talked about this multiple times on the podcast, but it still remains true. Shot creation isn't just what you can do with the ball in your hands off of a few dribble combination moves, stepping back and and, and separating and and creating a shot and getting off a shot that way. It's also what you can do off the ball. Do you navigate through the defense really well? Do you take what the defense gives you? Do you communicate with your teammates and work off of them when they set you screens? Do you look for the right opportunities? Do you cut towards the basket and apply pressure that way at the right time? Something I was really impressed with Jalen Williams, who I'll get to a little bit later in this podcast episode. Can you do those things if you aren't this amazing maestro with the ball in your hands and you're creating all of these uh, fun moves and you're doing all this shit like Kyle like a career but for example if you aren't that type of player can you give yourself opportunities to really be effective on the offensive end of the forum Keegan Murray showed that he could do that he was still a very high level scorer a very efficient player the shot looks really good from three-point range he's going to be a dynamic catch and shoot guy he can be a movement shooter that was obviously one of the more underrated aspects of his game as many people have started to talk about on social media and reacting to summer league. I was not surprised at all by what I saw from Keegan Murray. I I can say that he showed me something a little bit more than what I was expecting, but at the very least, a real baseline. He was exactly who I thought he was coming in um, in the in the summer league games that he's played up to this point. I truly believe he he has the chance to be a star. In the NBA, if more of that ball handling, if more of that separation ability one-on-one in those half-court situations comes around, we can still be talking about a Tobias Harris-like upside on offense. And then you factor in his willingness to go and make plays on the defensive end, his awareness, his switchability, his versatility, his recognition playing passing lanes, getting his hand on the ball, blocking shots when he has the opportunity, although he didn't show a ton of that so far at Summer League. He showed more of that in college, but nevertheless, just somebody who is so active on the defensive end, constantly moving, constantly looking to rotate the switch, has active hands. I just love Keegan Murray's activity level on both sides of the ball, his awareness, his really high IQ. His, his relentless motor, his rebounding ability. He can handle the ball in transition, make plays for others out on the break. He is such a complete forward at six foot eight. I think the Sacramento Kings are going to be really happy with the player that they have in tow for years to come. And then we get to the fifth overall pick, and somebody who went later in the lottery but ended up finding his way to the Detroit Pistons through a few transactions. I I wanted to see what the Jaden and Ivy and Jalen Duran chemistry combo would look like. And obviously in that first game against the Portland trailblazers, they came right out of the gate, um, ran Ivy off of movement, got him in the middle of the paint so that he could lift the lift up the lob and get it to Jalen Duran for the, for the absolute monstrous flush uh, off the lob opportunity and the cut along the baseline. I love that opening play from Ivy and Duran and really, I think, those who are going to be able to develop better pick and roll chemistry as their NBA careers go along. Um, Ivy be obviously being able to apply so much pressure at the rim because of his speed, because of his explosiveness, his dynamicism off of his first step. He just bends defenses in a way that few other players in this draft class can because of that speed. It's really, really hard to keep him out of the paint when he wants to get downhill and get there. And the more defenses have to scramble and recover and send help, send multiple defenders his way, the more opportunities somebody like a Jalen Duran or even to an extent an Isaiah Stewart's going to have off of those pick and roll opportunities, those lob opportunities in the case of Duran. In the case of Isaiah Stewart, we saw him spacing the floor effectively for his guys, which is going to be very much so needed for a team that needs more shooting apart from Sadiq Bay. Hopefully he will be able to space the floor for certain stretches and act as like a poor man's Kevin Love to an extent for Jane Ivy as well as Kate Cunningham next year. I, I wanted to see an improved jump shot from Isaiah Stewart. That was something that I thought could be in his bag going back to his days in Washington. And I'm glad to see some of that working out for him. Um, are Jay Nivey and Jalen Duran going to help Kate Cunningham to form one of the best young cores in the NBA? Yes, folks. I believe it. Jay Nivey, even though he did get hurt, we wish him nothing but the best and a speedy recovery in the stretches that he played he had a 26 and six game he scored 11 points in five minutes before he went out for an injury when he's when he's at his best right when he's looking to be dynamic when he's looking to be aggressive not just getting downhill but also creating proper three-point attempts not looking to take contested three-point shots but when the defense gives him those opportunities when they're going to go underneath screens at the nba level and dare him to shoot and prove for him to prove the defenses that he can make those tougher three-point shots When he's in his bag, and especially when he's hitting those shots, he is such a dangerous offensive player. Yes, he has a lot of work to do as a playmaker, making multiple reads out of those pick and roll sets, um, constantly keeping his head up and looking for others in transition other than just purely trying to race everyone to the basket and get his own offense. Those things, from a playmaking standpoint, we knew they're going to take time. He's not a natural point guard. But his raw scoring ability, his scoring instincts are up there with anybody else in this draft class. And at his size, at 6'4", with his length, with his elite speed on the court, that's the tantalizing package that would have been really hard to pass up if I were running the Sacramento Kings. I do think they still got a good player in King and Murray, but you throw in what Ivy can do in the court, you throw in what Duran was able to show just with his hustle, with his motor. I would have liked to see him rebound the ball a little bit better than he has so far in Summer League. Would definitely like to see um, that part of his game better come together at this professional level, but just being active, cutting to the basket, consistently rolling, looking to finish, getting up in the air, going up, getting the ball and throwing it down, running in transition, showing some of the playmaking and passing flashes that he has. He had, he had a, he's had a number of really fascinating baseline passes to where he's kicked it to the opposite corner and, and gotten other guys involved, like the passing flashes, some of the short role playmaking that he showed in Memphis, obviously the athleticism, the lobability. These are some of the traits that led people to make like the BAM out of bio type comparisons and the fact that we're already seeing some minor flashes of those traits coming together for Durant at the NBA level through the summer league stretch it's really exciting for for what I think should be a very bright Detroit Pistons basketball future so. That was kind of covering some of the top five guys and some of my initial reactions to what we've seen in summer league. I I can't wait to dive a little bit deeper on a lot of these lottery guys, including some of the top prospects I just named on future off season episodes of the draft deeper podcast. Can't wait to do that, but we got to talk about some other names here, namely Jalen Williams, Jalen Williams. For the Oklahoma City Thunder shout out to Jalen first of all for rocking some of the no ceilings merch those were some awesome social media posts that we were able to share on the accounts and we thank him again for his time for doing the interview with Albert we wish him nothing best in his NBA career but quite frankly folks with what he showed on the court in summer league he he doesn't need our best wishes he was just fine operating off of giddy off of Chet Holmgren, taking opportunities that have been given to him um, in pick and roll sets, creating for others, his cutting ability, his awareness, his timing on those cuts, his transition ability, his awareness to leak out at the right times to get out and running and taking take advantage of the Cheddar Giddy Hit Aheads, just his IQ, his understanding of how to play offense. It's something. That this Thunder team does not have at that wing size, right? That six five, six six height with his seven foot two wingspan. The Thunder don't have another player like him on the roster, and I understand there are guys in front of him, even in the summer league. You saw the the willingness to start Aaron Wiggins ahead of somebody like Jalen Williams, for example. We saw that, but he offers things that some of these guys just—I won't say they don't have the ability to do some of these things. That I've outlined, but they don't have the same awareness, the IQ level, the timing that Jalen Williams has his understanding of how to fit in and play off the ball and just be a member of the offense while still contributing at a high level. It's it's special stuff, man, some of these guys, especially when you factor in how a Jalen Williams at Santa Clara he had the ball in his hands a lot more frequently. He was the top playmaker for that team. He was the top scorer for that team. So to be able to scale back a little bit to more of an off-ball role to fit in with everybody else around him and do it at such an effective level. And I haven't even gotten to anything he did on the defensive side of the ball, switching on bigger matchups, switching onto a Jabari Smith, giving him hell on that end, Uh, being able to guard multiple positions on that perimeter, holding his own in the post, deflecting the ball, making plays on the ball, What Jalen Williams has done on the floor, if you still question whether he should have been a lottery pick or not, I just, I don't know if we're watching the same basketball game. He has impressed me so much, and it's not out of the realm of possibility that eventually he finds his way into the starting lineup for the Oklahoma City Thunder during his rookie year. Um, One of my hotter takes I think I can give on this podcast views, I truly believe Jalen's going to be an all-rookie performer. I don't know if he'll quite make the level of all rookie first team. I'm not sure that given the the role he's likely to have on this team, being even when he's in the game, probably being like a third or a fourth option at best, like a secondary or tertiary creator, and then really like a third or fourth option to score the basketball, I'm not sure if he'll have the same opportunities as like a Chet Holger and a Shea Gilders alexander a Josh Giddy to be that offensive dynamo to put up the numbers to really elevate himself into that all-rookie first-team conversation. But he's going to impact winning basketball for the Oklahoma City Thunder next year. Even though they might not rack up all these wins, even though they're, they're likely to be back in the lottery next year, the games that this team does win, Jalen Williams is going to help slowly impact and make a difference towards Oklahoma City being able to get some of the wins that they do next year. I strongly, strongly believe that. He is that damn good. My question about Jalen Williams that I need to answer for this podcast audience before I move on to some other guys who have caught my eye. Does Jalen Williams have a higher ceiling than just that of a starting wing in the NBA? Are we looking at somebody who could bud into potentially like a lower level star in the league who is a step above just like that fifth starter, that tier four, or even that lower end tier three type of player? If you're going by my tier system, how I grade prospects heading into the draft, can he be towards that upper level of a tier three? I really think he can be. I think we're watching a potentially special player in Oklahoma city, really start to figure things out off the ball. And if he brings some of that dynamic play on the offensive side that he showed at Santa Clara, where he can run offense, where he can be a primary initiator and a facilitator, if he can show more of that scoring polish at the basket inside the arc, if he can be somebody who continues to get better and better at the off the dribble shooting from three point land, and he continues to fire bombs away, on those catch-and-shoot looks from the corners and from three-point range, and he starts piecing all of these different parts of his game together to where he's consistent at all of them, and then just factoring in the type of defensive impact he can have as he continues to improve on that end in the league as well. I think we're looking at a potentially special player in the league. I, I, I cannot wait to keep watching Jalen Williams. He, he is, without a doubt, one of my favorite rookies that, that will be coming into the league next year. some of the other prospects that caught my eye um, to, to a lesser extent than the last guy I'll mention in this category, Josh Minot had the absolute game of his life. Um, Memphis's first game. He had 22 points, 10 rebounds, three assists and a block. Um, his next game after that he didn 't follow up with quite the same performance from a scoring and efficiency standpoint on offense, but had more steals and blocks combined, really showed to be an active defensive playmaker. He gets after it on the glass, he loves to rebound the basketball he just loves to make winning plays, and that was the main call out for his evaluation at memphis was Was he somebody who was deserving of a first round grade in the draft i, I couldn 't get there with him i didn 't end up moving him back closer to like the middle part or later part of the second round like the mid to late second round range because I thought some of the offensive characteristics of his game were going to take a little while to come on but man when when he is aggressive, when when the handle isn't too loose, when he's able to use that dribble to effectively get to the basket where he can finish at the rim, when he can knock down some of those catch and shoot looks from the perimeter. And then when you factor in everything he does on the glass, he he always seems to be in the right place at the right time. Some of the underrated passing ability and vision off of those drives and cuts to the basket. He has a really intriguing game for an athletic. Bouncy forward who could potentially play multiple positions at the NBA level. You, you see, all you got to do is just flip on that first game of, of Minnesota's that I'm referencing and you can see some of the potential that John Hollinger outlined in multiple articles for the athletic when he had mine on his 10th ranked prospect. I'm, I'm not saying he should have been anywhere close to that. But I did call out for a good portion of the draft cycle that he really should have gotten more consideration towards um, the the late first round, early second round range. And and Josh has really come out and and flashed some intriguing tools and, and skills at the Vegas Summer League. So I'm really happy for him. Blake Wesley also came out for the San Antonio Spurs, guns blazing, looking to prove he was worth more than the 25th overall selection Um, In the NBA draft, had 20 points and five assists in his first game, shooting seven of 16 from the floor, shooting three out of four from three-point range. Then you start to see some of the mistakes pile up. So the shot selection come back to bite him when he was only three for 20 against the Houston Rockets the other night. When I talked about he was getting walled off a little bit with Jabari Smith and some of the other defenders they have on a team like Tari Eason, who I'll talk about in a second. When Blake. Can't get downhill right and sort of ease himself into the offensive side of the game when he can work himself into better possessions to where he has the mindset to take what the defense gives him not trying to force too much of the offensive action when he forces too much, we have these really inefficient these really bad looking offensive nights especially from the perimeter because he's not a volume three-point shooter. He shouldn't be a volume perimeter shooter. He is a guy who can mix and match and, and get to some of his spots. for The pull-up game inside the arc, similar to his teammate Malachi Branham, he can get to the basket, he can finish above defenders, but when he's not trying to mix in more of that game inside the arc or pass out of some poor situations where he's driving at multiple defenders, when he just has the blinders on and he, all he wants to do is score and shoot that's when the trouble comes in. He doesn't look as good on the offensive side of the ball. I will say his consistent defensive effort has impressed me up to this point in in NBA summer league. And I can't wait to continue to see Blake Wesley develop, but at the very least he has shown me more than I thought I would see at the very least in that first game that I saw against the Cleveland Cavaliers show me a little bit more than I thought I would see this last guy, man, Tari Eason, Holy smokes. The Houston Rockets picked the right guy at number 17. I, I I truly thought he went in the best range for him on draft night. He went to a situation where he can play a more up and down style game, where he can be effective in transition, where he can be a cutter, where he can be a guy who he doesn't have to take a lot of three-point shots, but when the ball swings to him in the corners and he can make some of those catch-and-shoot looks, the spot-up looks, when he is patient, poised and he uses his uber athletic gifts in the right ways and he plays with discipline man is he an impressive player on both sides of the ball disruptive defender we knew he could be a playmaker but would he show the willingness especially early on in his career to sit in a stance and guard somebody one-on-one on the defensive end He has shown that in spades in summer league, and and it has really, really paid off for him because when he is more disciplined, when he's not looking to gamble all the time and play more on the ball defensively and sit down and guard somebody, he does have really quick hands. You don't don't just force the number of steals and and get the steal rates and the block rates that he had in college only by anticipation alone. Um, Having that that quick twitch athleticism, having those quick hands, those and, and the length, obviously, to poke the ball free or, or, or get your hand on the ball and deflect it in certain situations. All of those things do matter if you can marry the two together. And the fact that we're starting to see Tari Easton marry the both of them together, plus what he was showing on the offensive end, not being afraid to shoot the basketball, making timely cuts, getting downhill. My whole point with Tari's valuation, especially on the offensive end, when it, come, when, when it came to his finishing inside the arc and around the basket was when he got up against similar sized players or players who were bigger than him. I didn't see the same strength, the same toughness, the same touch to finish more of those opportunities that I'd like to see from somebody who on the offensive end, you figure is going to live almost exclusively inside the paint. But the counterpoint that I said multiple times throughout the year was, does it even matter when he just gets so many free runs in the lane and he gets so many easy open opportunities to dunk the basketball or finish inside. Does that concern matter? And right now at the NBA level, when he has more spacing, he has more room to, to, to drive to the basket. We're seeing that his speed, his quickness, his first step, um, his, str- his longer strides. We're seeing that if he can marry everything together and he can continue to get those open looks. My concerns aren't even valid at this point. Um, Tari Eason looks like he's going to be an effective player and then the chance that I gave him to potentially return top 10 value in this track class one day should he kind of put all these different parts to his game together that chances it, it, it's growing at, at a very slow rate because it's it's just summer league we can't put all of the stock into these performances but Game by game by game, it continues to to grow slowly. And it, uh, if he keeps doing these things and, and showing more of the complete package in the NBA during the regular season, during his rookie year, I'm just going to let that chance just keep slowly upticking to the point where he does end up exceeding all of my expectations. Hopefully he does one day in the NBA, but I will just say great pick for the Rockets at 17. And obviously his teammate, Uh, Ty Ty Washington I'm not going to go into a detailed breakdown of him hopefully I will do a Rockets episode um, in a few weeks we'll go over more of the specific fits for these draft picks Ty Ty as well he obviously had some impressive moments during the summer league run as well as hit some big shots some impressive floaters has knocked down some open perimeter shots when he's had the opportunity to do so some of the passing craft and vision that he's displayed as well when he did have the ball in his hands when he had some of those uh, backup point guard opportunities I did like what I've seen from Ty Ty Washington as well. So let's finish off this podcast. Let's just quickly go through some of the year two players that I got to see, namely for Golden State. Well, in, in James Wiseman case, he's a year three guy, but the year two guys, Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga. Moses Moody's best game for at Summer League so far was a 34-point performance, five rebounds. In that game, he shot eight of 13 from the field, three of six from three-point range, and 15 of 17 from the free throw line. If Moses Moody can continue to get downhill and operate in an aggressive manner around the basket, drawing contact at it in the free throw line where you know he has the natural touch to be able to knock down those shots from the charity stripe effectively, he can be more of that player to better complement the catch and shoot threat he already showed and improved he could be um, during some of the games he was able to play for Golden State last year. Even in the playoffs, he is going to keep rapidly climbing up the ladder, and and if he's given the right opportunities to succeed with Golden State in year two, I fully expect him to take the jump that I thought I would see more of from Jonathan Kaminga. He's definitely had his ups and downs in in the minutes that he's played out in Las Vegas at Summer League, but his best game, a 28.7 rebound, four assist performance, um, 46% from the field. He got to the line 18 times in that game. He only made um, seven of those free throws, seven of those 18 free throws, but Still just, again, showing the aggressiveness to get downhill, get to the line, set yourself up for success with easy opportunities. That's exactly what a free throw is. Not heavily relying on the pull-up game and the three-point shot, but just being aggressive and hunting for the offense that most naturally comes to you, which is getting yours off of downhill drives, man. Jonathan Kuminga did have moments during the summer league run where he looked impressive on both ends of the floor. Same for Moses Moody. And then James Wiseman, James Wiseman didn't have to put up big numbers in his first game back and in in playing action since his most recent injury, he didn't have to put up big numbers. He just had to show that he was, on his way to making improvements heading into year three of his career than what he's previously shown us for Golden State. Does he look like somebody who has been putting in the work, who wants to get better, who can show or continue to show signs of improvement through this third season of his, hopefully leading to a year four breakout in the NBA, which everybody can look at me and say, why are we so determined to wait on a player heading into year four when there are a number of NBA teams out there who probably would have already cut bait on the James Wise experiments well well Wiseman didn't really get the same college time or that year after high school time to develop in the same way as everybody else has obviously had a rocky start through his first two years in the league due to injuries and inconsistent playing opportunities the only way somebody gets better as a basketball player is by actually playing the game at a high level on the court and if he's not getting that high level developmental time those reps with his teammates he's not going to develop at the the same pace as some of his peers, right? It's not fair even going into year three to expect the breakout season to be right now, along with like a LaMelo ball or or an Anthony Edwards, who really had his breakout year in year two, especially in the playoffs when he proved that, that he can be a star more, more on Anthony Edwards in, in a future podcast coming, um, it's not fair to have that same level of expectation for James Wiseman. He's willing to run the floor. Is he able to be an effective friend transition? Can he be better defensively? Can he put a lid on the basket? Can he switch a little bit? Can he operate and draw coverage? Can he contest shots at the basket and not rack up the fouls? Can he rebound effectively? Can he show a little bit more of that shooting touch? Maybe not from three-point range, but more of one of the elbow shots we saw, for example, in, in a summer league debut. Can we see more of the touch, more of the consistent finishing ability and more of the defensive play to where he's making effective reads on and off the ball on the defensive side where he's, he's rotating, he's helping to protect the rim and he's not fouling, not racking up fouls at an incredibly high rate will be an important thing to monitor with James Wiseman heading into year three, but all three of these young guys for Golden State, we have not gotten to see Patrick Baldwin. We have not gotten to see Ryan Rollins. I fully buy into those guys as well. We know what Jordan Poole has become. The Warriors, you've heard this so much on mainstream media, but I will say it here on this podcast feed because I 100% agree. They're in the best position of any team in the NBA to both win now and win in the future. And I I can't I can't I can't say that about any other team. There are certainly other squads that I like who are building for the future who should continue to have long term success, Um, like what Memphis is doing. We've seen them take steps towards winning real games in the playoffs a little bit sooner than even I may have initially anticipated. We see what the Thunder are building. We see what the Rockets are building. We see what the Pistons are building, but they're building. They're not contenders. They didn't just come off of winning a championship. So the fact that a team who has won the title can hopefully rely on some of this young depth and their young core to carry some of the vets in stretches during the regular season to where the guys like Steph Curry, like Clay, like Draymond, they don't have to play as heavy of minutes. You can play some of these young guys like continuing the lean on pool, um, like seeing further development from Kuminga and Moody, like giving Wiseman opportunities at the big man spot to better back up Kevon Looney and Draymond. Having this type of luxury, this type of depth, it's very rare for a contending team to have. So props to Golden State for what this team has continued to build. And then, Just some second year breakout standouts that I want to just highlight really quickly before we close this podcast episode, Trey Murphy has already had a game in summer league where he had 30 points, six rebounds, 10 of 18 from the field, three of six from three point range, seven of nine from the free throw line had a, a, a more inconsistent performance. His first time out, I believe he had 28 points, but he was only one of nine from three point range. Definitely his second outing out with the Pelicans um, against the Hawks got much more on track, particularly with his three point shooting, but man, his body, his build, We highlighted on the No Stealings podcast feed. He looks physically ready to take on the world in year two. I cannot wait to see what type of contributions he can offer the New Orleans Pelicans as they also continue to build towards long-term success with the return of Zion with the further integration of C.J. McCollum into that team. With Brandon Ingram, the improvements we'll likely see from Herb Jones, from Jose Alvarado. We know Dyson Daniels got hurt during the summer league stretch, but what will he be able to provide in his rookie year coming off of a year in the G league Ignite, where he showed consistent improvements over the course of a season against grown men. I am so excited to see what New Orleans is going to do this upcoming year. Josh Christopher for the Houston Rockets came off his last game against the Spurs that they played 18 points, three rebounds, three assists, six combined steals and blocks a better shooting night for him, 6 of 13 from the field overall, even though he didn't hit a three, even though some people are going to point towards some of the tunnel vision they saw from him, his willingness to just shoot, 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 his lack of racking up a high number of assists, particularly if they're trying to groom him for potentially like a backup league guard spot. Few guys who are at Summer League possess his combination of physical tools his willingness and the ability to score the ball from multiple levels on the court, particularly in the mid range, his ability to get downhill, to finish above defenders um, on some lob and dunk opportunities, his ability to rise up in the mid range, show some of that shot making craft and then go out there and defend and make plays on the ball and sit down and guard guys one-on-one. His two way play through summer league has been what has really impressed me the most. I think he's been absolutely fantastic and and phenomenal at Summer League. Maybe I'm just watching different basketball than everybody else, but I think Corey would agree with me. We talked about some of Josh Christopher's plan, the no ceilings feed, particularly on our day one reaction show. Some of the other guys in those cylinders have been going back and forth in the group chats about how we've been really impressed by Jacob. Shout out to you, Jacob. You look like you could have a really strong breakout year coming off the bench and playing an important role at the guard spot for the Houston Rockets as you head into year two. And then Quentin Grimes the other night for the Knicks. Um, putting up 24 points four rebounds four assists on seven of 14 shooting from the field four of nine from three point range six of six from the line their other game their first game against the golden state warriors the first full day we were out there um put up another good game i don't think at quite as efficient and as effective on both sides of the ball but the Knicks wanted to give Quentin Grimes if he was going to play for longer stretches during these games as a year two guy they wanted to see the the, the the classic how much can we throw at this guy and how much can he handle at a high rate and Quentin Grimes is going out there, he's being an effective spot up shooter like we know he can but he's getting the spots with the ball in his hands he's creating his own offense, he's creating offense for others and he's continuing to guard his position at an effective level and I expect the majority of those things, maybe not as much of the on-ball creation that we were able to see in summer league because it is technically a lower level of competition than what he will see in the regular season, but the majority of what he's shown in Vegas, I expect him to continue to build on as we head into this next year forum with the New York Knicks. He will continue to be one of the better, younger rotational assets as they look to further build out this team around Jalen Brunson and RJ Barrett and then Julius Randall. And then finally, just some, some more summer league standouts that I didn't get to mention yet. I should just shout out the whole Memphis Grizzlies team. Really, I wanted to shout out Jake Laravia for him being an absolute fl- flamethrower from three-point range for playing consistent defense or at least showing the willingness to defend multiple positions, being that connector type of player, keeping the ball moving, not letting it stick, and just being an effective player at his size on both ends of the floor for Memphis during the summer league stretch, even when he's not scoring at a high level, as, as he was showing for Memphis in the game that was happening um, right before I recorded this podcast, he, he wasn't scoring the ball at a high level. He only had three shot attempts, but he was rebounding the ball. He was passing it. He was making plays on the ball on the defensive side. He is going to be a long-term starter in the NBA. So hats off to everybody out there who was high on Jake Arabia far much earlier in the draft process than I was last year kudos to you guys for getting me on board because I'm a big Jake Laravia fan and really I called it out in the summer league preview episode with Maxwell I just wanted to see this Memphis Grizzlies team in general a lot of these guys have impressed me the Kennedy Chandlers of the world the Vince Williams juniors of the world the Kenny Loftons And David Roddy's of the world are starting to put together some good games and then obviously Xavier Tillman coming in and really trying to help the young guys grow and get more familiar with the Memphis Grizzlies system what culture they're building in Memphis what excellent culture the Grizzlies are building I can't wait to watch that team next year during the regular season Benedict Matherin For the Indiana Pacers, having multiple big games, showing that he is everything as advertised coming out of Arizona. I think he's going to have a big rookie year for the Indiana Pacers. And then Cam Thomas, last but not least, Cam Thomas for the Brooklyn Nets, just scoring, you know, 25, 30 points per game, just continuing to get buckets, do his thing. One of the best microwave options that we have as as a year one or a year two player that we'll have in the NBA will continue to be that Brooklyn will eventually tap into more of the Cam Thomas experience. And I can't wait to continue to watch that young man develop in the NBA. He is an automatic bucket and the more different parts to his game, he can hopefully show that he wants to build out the better because man, that guy is a flamethrower. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for this episode of the draft deeper podcast. Just wanted to give, some of my reactions of where I currently sit on a lot of the young guys after the Summer League action that I saw. Again, thank you to everybody out there. Thank you to my No Ceilings family and anybody else who I got to interact with at Summer League who took the time to meet me. I'm glad that I got to meet so many of you and I cannot wait for next year at Summer League. It's it's one of my favorite times of the year, one of my favorite events. I love watching all the games. So thank you to all of the support that everyone has shown myself at the Draft Deeper podcast and everyone's shown No Ceilings ceilings as well if you aren't following me on twitter make sure you do so at draft deeper make sure you subscribe to the draft deeper podcast wherever you get your podcast apple podcast spotify youtube Make sure you're following No Ceilings on Twitter at No Ceilings NBA and that you're still locked in and subscribe to the Substack stack, no Ceilings We have a few pieces coming out this week by the time you listen to this podcast. I know Maxwell's cooking something up. I think Corey's cooking up something coming very soon on Victor Wembanyama. trying to look more ahead towards the 2023 draft. I'm going to be writing some interesting pieces during the offseason over the course of multiple weeks that will tie into some of the podcast episodes I do. So make sure you're tuned into the written content. Make sure you're listening to us. Make sure you're watching us at No Ceilings TV on YouTube. But thank you so much again for listening to this episode. I will be back with more content later in the week and heading into next week. But until then, thank you all for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.